Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. listening to the spotlight thank you for joining me or joining us actually because right now in the chat i have the wonderful bengi of of everything south bank center meltdown festival concrete lakes what haven't you done let's talk about it how are you doing i'm fine thank you jay um yes i have done quite a lot um because i'm like i've been working in the music industry for 25 years Ooh. so i have the time to actually do them do that all those things thank you <laughs> i suppose yeah 25 years but it's still a solid you know that's most people take one thing and do that really well for their <laughs> where you've just just you know clutched loads of things um let's let's start right at the beginning where did it all come from like how did you get into music and events as a career um I don't know where to start. Like I've I've always I've always kind of knew that I wanted to do something with music. But where I come from, I come from Istanbul, and when I was growing up, we didn't actually have that kind of like musical education. That wasn't like a career that I thought I could have. Oh, so right. yeah, I mean, I I was always I my father says basically I studied business and management in university. But my father said you're the only person I know who actually prepared for a university exam because we have an exam to go into the university by watching music music TV. Like, I really, that was my preparation. I didn't do anything uh, for years. That was my kind of education. I was always watching TV, listening to music, etc. But then I studied uh, management. But as I started uh, studying it the first year, I was like, I have to do something about music. So there was this DJ friend of mine who was working in this like radio um, uh, station. They also had a music TV station. And I was like, whatever you have, I have to be in that building, uh-huh. right? Cleaning the building, anything like archiving CDs. What can I do? And then they were looking for someone at um, the music TV side. So I went in and started studying, uh, started working there basically. And that was 25 years ago. And then I then I worked at record labels. Then I worked at um, that I did my own music festival and got really super bankrupt before I was thirty. Oh so no! I, yeah, it was wow. horrible. <laughs> Sorry to hear that, but you know we learn we learn from all mistakes. Yeah, it it, it made me who I am today. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> Cautious but adventurous. <laughs> that I mean to even attempt that that's quite something i guess it's a token to your nature of just you know let's let's try it let's give it a go yeah i was young and uh, yeah 
and I wanted to do something. We didn't have much, you know, but it was, I did the third edition of the first open air music festival in Turkey. So uh, I'm kind of proud of that. Um, and yeah, we didn't have much. So I just wanted to be part of that kind, kind of history. But we also mm. had Istanbul Foundation for Culture and Arts who has been doing like huge festivals, music, jazz, film festival for years and years. They're celebrating their, I don't know, 50th year maybe? Wow. So yeah, there was things happening, but not yeah. in a sense, in a way. I love how you just, you just felt that you were like, I'm, I want to be here. I will, you know, whatever pack CDs, or I'm, I'm just want to be involved in this, and I'm, I'm so let me in, <laughs> basically. I think it's just like I think that calling, um, yeah. it's just being connected to it, and it's very surprising for me as well because I'm, I feel that I'm rarely connected to it, but I just couldn't bear it anymore. I was going to university, I was going into this like class of statistics, economics, which I really love. Don't get yeah. me wrong, I really love that I studied business, but then again. I just, I was so in love with music and I couldn't play any instrument. So I wanted to be involved in it somehow. So I, it, it, it's probably one of those times that you're in a crossroad and you hear that calling and you go, yes, I have to do something about it. Especially for a shy person that I was and still am at times. I just, it was so hard even asking that question to my friends, but I'm so glad I asked it, it changed my life. Wow. Well, I mean, that, there's something to be said for that, pushing yourself to, you know, like e- even doing all the interviews on this show, I kind of like, before each one, I'm like, oh, you know, kind of, but you, you do it. And then there's been so many amazing chats that have come out of, you know, talking to all these different people. So you're right. Just, just, just do it. Just do it. Yeah. Um, I suppose actually that leads quite nicely onto talking about Meltdown um, because you, I mean, there's such a, incredible array of people that you've had through like now rogers and i mean you've got hopefully grace jones planned for this year right yeah. how how do you kind of go about um like approaching these artists to curate a festival that's in line with a south bank audience but also represents them you know as within themselves i mean it's it's the meltdown i have has the legacy of it and I kind of inherited it or not inherited it I'm taking care of it for the years that I'm there at South Bank so yeah I might be gone uh it existed before me it will exist after me it's the longest running curator-led festival in the world at the moment Mm -hmm. and it's an absolute honor for me to just be taking care of it and just working on it um for, for the time being. I mean, I can only account, it had many amazing curators from Patti Smith to Laurie Anderson, to David Bowie, to, it was just like a huge list of artists. Just incredible, yeah. So that's the legacy you kind of have to live with and then just like build upon it. And now South Bank, I think in terms of the audiences, we are for everyone as much as we can be. So I'm, when I'm trying to pick that curator to curate the festival, we're looking at like trying to look at the balance, trying to look, we're not, we're trying to not overserve the same audiences, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so when I first came in, uh, it was MIA and, um, and it was to answer your question, every curator is different. Mm-hmm. We know 
We know that we want, whatever Martin we do, we want it to be diverse and innovative and appealing to a, a wide range of audiences. And we have our venues like Royal Festival Hall, Queen Elizabeth Hall, Purcell Room, we have our outdoor spaces. So it kind of also dictates in, in a bit what you can do in, in the spaces as well. But um, it's, we know those audiences that we want to reach. Mm-hmm. We know how they react. We know our venues, but it's, it's maybe more than us, not maybe, it's the artists, the curators festival. So we can assist them. It depends on who does it. Like Robert Smith, for instance, was very hands-on. He knew what he wanted to do. He had a vision for the festival. He had this like array of amazing artists in mind. And he just basically, I didn't have much. I was the best personal assistant he could ever have. In oh. a way. Oh, that's really interesting. So. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I assisted him. I didn't curate that festival. It was completely his festival, or like let's say ninety percent of the festival was his. Um, but with not, I mean, every curator has a sense and they kind of control. But some of them are more open to discussion and they listen to you. Nile Rogers is an amazing collaborator. Like he is that kind of an artist. He collaborates with many, and he collaborated with us as an institution. He he had this vision as well of what he wanted to do, but it was a very two-way kind of a thing. With uh, MIA as well, she is like the the best ANR, um, I think. She has an amazing sense of who's coming up next, the new talents. Interesting. She's ahead of her time, I think, most yeah. of the so it, it every artist basically has a way of working and what we do we adjust to that mold in a way as much as we can we adjust to that and we try to come up with the best festival we can come up with for the audiences i really like that it's, I, mean, I suppose that's the ultimate you know definition of curation right it's it depends on the person and the requirement and then you curate perfectly to fit um actually we touched on mia being very good at a and r and finding new artists how are you finding new artists in this time like how how does it work because you know it's all online at the moment um i mean um back in the day when i was working at a record label like we used to have like CDs coming to us, so that's how we did, or in a radio or, or TV station. Some people pick it, basically. Either yeah. it's the radio stations or the record labels, managers, agencies, they pick these bands mostly, and it gets filtered through. So, and then you listen to what's filtered through, through mostly, if you are not just like, if you don't stumble upon a talent. First of all, we have Future Tense at South Bank Center, something I um, set up like a weekly free slot for emerging talent. Um, and then for that, we have an open email address. People send us their proposals and we listen to them and then we pick the talent from there. But also we talk to agents, we talk to managers and we try to also mentor these artists in their journey. If they don't have an agent, if they don't have a manager, we sometimes invite people over. So it happens that normally happens at Queen Elizabeth Hall foyer every Friday at 6 p.m. before the concert. Oh, and wow. it's like from 200 to 400 people come and watch an emerging band. So it's really good, amazing production, amazing sound. 
So we try to support those emerging talents as much as we can. And through that process, I listen to a lot of uh, new bands. Also, there's also like, for instance, I was uh, listening to, I joined International Live Music Conference uh, last week, and there were a lot of new bands um, performing there. So there are bits and pieces of like ways you kind of, and then you stumble upon them on mm. digital. I think with digital, it's it's actually an opportunity because you we have the access to a lot of music all around the world that we didn't have access to. I know it's too much. Like there's a, a whole unbelievable amount of music out there, but it's still out there at least. Yeah. It's not record labels pressing them and so that it comes to our desks. Rather, we can go and find them ourselves or they can find us and um, vice versa. But also at South Bank, I would say uh, we have personal sessions, which we give the artists their this base, this blank page for their creativity. Yeah, I we I love that we're supporting the emerging talent or mid-level talent, and we would like to do that even more after a year that we spent with COVID and they didn't, they lost their livelihood. Um, yeah, it's been a, it's definitely been a, a rough one for a lot of, um, especially slightly smaller bands. There's going to be this boom, right? As soon as we get back to live, everybody is just dying to see some live, live music. Oh, it's going to be so good. It's it's really, like, I can, I can feel it. Even when I go out and, you know, you're just in the park or whatever and people are just out for the sake of being out, having a walk or whatever. It just feels like, oh, things are, things are going to return. Um, actually, let's talk about Concrete Lates because are, are you going to bring those back? Because they were a vibe before the pandemic so <laughs> yeah I, I forget about that vibe now I think that was actually a Concrete Lakes concert might have been the latest gig I've been to before the pandemic wow I think I think it was played and Kelly Lee Owens <gasps> I think that was amazing at, at Queen Elizabeth Hall for yeah yeah I mean I I certainly miss miss Concrete Lakes and I we want to get back to them for sure it's just this yeah, it, it's it's a completely different vibe in a way for because we normally have uh, seated or seated venues. Although I I would I always say Royal Festival Hall is the most comfortable um, seated standing venue in London because the seats go up and you can stand. And if you don't if you don't want to stand up, you can just sit sit down. It's quite comfortable. Yeah, I, I love that. It. But then having this amazing high ceiling, big space for standing audiences for clubbing clubbing audiences that we do it with um at queen elizabeth hall foyer with concrete lates is something special i think yeah so i'm looking forward to getting back to that and i want to be in a venue um as small as possible right now or royal festival hall or like i really want to be in that right now with my friends and experiencing that but i think there's also we we coming from istanbul not that we didn't have anything, but I think I sympathize more with the rest of the world who hasn't been as lucky as the UK crowd has been over the years. I think we take that for granted. Like there's a gig happening. There are millions of gigs happening in the UK every day, every corner of the city. And we are so lucky for that. But then again, not everyone is that 
lucky. And for someone to be able to see Black Country New Road or Cinematic Orchestra or LCO or Bell Orchestra that we're going to do, um, it's good that because of this live streaming and digital uh, thing that we're doing right now, they have those chances otherwise that they wouldn't have. Um, mm. Yeah, I think it's something to keep in mind going forward, that accessibility and the, that democracy of art and culture. I, I hadn't really considered that before, actually, but, you know, you're right. I suppose London, Berlin, maybe New York, there's, there's hubs of real music. Yeah. But, you know, there's a big world out there and everyone wants great music. So, you know, I've kind of been looking at the um, live streaming that's had to go on as, as a bit of like a just while we're waiting to get other gigs back. But actually, this is a really inspiring way of looking at it, thinking think how many more people we can reach this way now and exactly and like black country new road was watched over in over 40 countries oh, like for, a new band, for a new band who is just like breaking that's amazing i think us being able to like share it with the world it's just amazing um yeah that's incredible and you know as as you say as it's an institution so you can use yourselves as a platform to then because actually one of my questions was you know how because it's such an iconic building and place you know how have you kind of stepped into that digital world and still maintained that but actually you've already answered it and if anything you've improved on it as being just a single place now you're in 40 countries just like that <laughs> you know yeah. that's incredible thanks to our partners of course we wouldn't be able to do like as they say pivoting the uh, popular world nowadays to digital didn't actually happen overnight like for us as well we just wanted to that's our mission right we need to connect people and audiences with good art and culture and we lost 25 million pounds overnight because of COVID like over this past year and we it has been the hardest year for everyone in the industry mm -hmm. but we had to do something and we have an amazing team and we have amazing partners so um, it didn't happen overnight but I have to say that I'm very proud of what we did over the past year with our digital uh, live stream series Inside Out. Uh, my colleagues like literature, classical music, contemporary music. Um, we had an unlimited festival of disabled artists. I mean, just being able to present that, I, I'm very proud that we, we did more than I think any institution uh, of our kind. Um, yeah, very happy. You should be. It's it is incredible, and you know, it, as I say, it's a it's a token to the people behind it because it's not an easy thing to pull off. And yes, you've been very busy, <laughs> but it's so worth it, right? Yeah, it's so worth it, definitely. Um, no doubt you're about to get busier then as things do reopen. What's what's happening? You know, I know it's kind of tentative, but. Will Grace Jones happen this year, or do you know? Are you just kind of? It's a, um, it's a, it's still a little bit early to say anything about it because it's a huge festival of scale. We have like ten days of music happening across four or five venues, and we're 
that we have a lot of international artists involved this year so it's things are a bit certainly a bit more trickier let's say mm -hmm. but we're looking into it and we will be back with announcements uh soon but just like we need a little bit more time yeah but what i can say for south bank in summer that we are going the site will be super lively this year we're working on uh projects we're working on um just reopening the site to people and welcoming audiences again this summer so uh, also, we will be formally announcing that in the coming weeks, so wait for us. Is that all that I can say? You heard it here first, everyone. Yeah, you heard it here first. We will yeah. be back. Amazing. Well, um, yeah, on that note, thank you so much for talking to me. Can't wait to have you back. Looking, looking forward to meeting you at Riverside Terrace this summer. Yes. With a seat in our hands and some music. <laughs> It's called the Sovereignty Centre. And for good reason as well, it's part of a compilation that's been put together to raise money for the Gun Well Street, which is a uh, very kind of well-known and... No, it's an institution, really. It's a pub in Hackney, and uh, everyone's played there, including Daniel Avery himself. And there's loads and loads of people, but there's 14 tracks on the release and it's all raising money for saving the pub, basically. It's been subject to the, both the pandemic and Tory policies and it's it needs a bit of help, basically. And all these artists have donated tracks. So go cop it when it is out uh, April the 2nd for the vinyl and May the 2nd for the digital. Buy both if you can support the institution. The track we had before was Irakli, uh, and another amazing artist. That's an album that's just been released. The track was called Blessings from the Future. And right now I'm going to hand over to a very exciting new electro artist who goes by the name of Ara Yu. Check this out. Hi, Jay. Thanks for having me here. I want to talk about hibernation which is actually the name of the EP for a reason uh, first uh, it all started when I heard about the this studio in Buenos Aires Argentina I was going there to play a couple of gigs and the first thing I did was booked I booked this studio which is famous well all around the world people like Carl Craig and Rob Astin and others have recorded stuff there this place is basically a haven for creativity. When I got there, I was blown away. It was like, oh my God. It was full of rare analog equipment. They have, remember they have two modular Moogs, a rare Emu, a mini Moog, Synthi, a PPG, and all the vintage drum machines that you can think. When, when the, the engineer, Pablo, asked me, what do you want to use? I said, all of it, please. Uh, <laughs> so you can imagine 
I mean, I was running around in the studio from one side to the other, just like, okay, I'm playing this here and then connecting that there. And uh, it was just basically heaven. Anyway, uh, we ran uh, everything through the mixer and just started recording jams. After all the intensity of the first jams, which are the, the other three tracks, which are a, a bit more rough, um, I wanted to do something slower, something that meant a, a futuristic dream. And uh, but basically the whole story came from that after that track was actually finished. Um, uh, where this is ba based uh, on where a whole nation was under sleep and then they woke, well, they, wake, they woke up to a battle between machines. So the story of hibernation is basically a future story from the time of waking up from hibernating to the end of a war. I always like to create stories about releases and the Holy P was just a story that was created one day in this analog haven. As you can see, it's, it, it's slower. I'm very happy with this song. I mean, it's not the kind of BPM I normally do, but I wanted to be like a part of the story as the beginning and the end of it. So I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Here we are then, the unmistakable sound of DMX Crew. From his most recent album, Loose Gears. The track is called Torpedo Tube, and don't go anywhere because he'll be chatting to us straight after, well, three minutes left. There's so much music out there. And, mm. you know, well, how do you even start kind of defining your own sound really i mean i guess it just just well, do it and see what it sounds yeah, like to, as i've got older i've more or less stopped listening to other people's music and a lot of that's to do with having kids because there's just never any quiet time i think one of the good things about being a beginner is that you 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 can't necessarily achieve what you set out to achieve and therefore you can just copy stuff and it'll come out wrong and the and the wrongness of it with luck will be you know as long as you listen to what what's coming out of the speakers you need to be able to listen and and hit upon oh i've done that wrong but that's actually quite good mm. I'll, I'll, that's the bit i'll keep that bit you know so all my early records are like trying to copy i was trying to copy sort of arthur baker and um paul hardcastle and, and sort of commercial electro pop stuff and just doing it really badly. Yeah. You know, and then late, and then in later life, I've sort of I've taught myself to home in on the on the bits that the wrong bits that are interesting. Another thing I love doing is taking two two sort of fairly well defined genres of music that don't sound like they would go together, and then trying to make a track of both like like uh, gothic music versus Prince or. Or you know reggae mixed with uh, Gabba or something, you know, whatever. <laughs> just just yeah. just try and think of two things that you quite like and create a whole new clash them. Yeah, yeah. A whole new entity. And again, and again, hopefully doing it a bit wrong. Do you, how many of your tunes then do you think are mistakes? <laughs> well, it's not so much born of mistakes. It's more just born of like mucking about freely with the instruments 
with your but with your ears open, you know, mm. and and when something happens, Honing going it. to yourself, oh, that that was good, like that, you know, that mistake was good, um, or not maybe not mistake, but just that thing that I did then when I didn't look at what key I was pressing sounded quite cool, you know, and and you you get habits, and I think it's I for me it's important to try and break my habits all the time. So you get you, you if you're a piano player, you must have like keys that you find it easier to play in, and yeah. chords that you, chords that you know, or chord voicings that you like, and and um. Yeah, big. So I'll, so I'll try and you know I'll do something like I'll transpose two. I have two different keyboards, and I'll transpose one of them so that the, na- the notes won't be the same on both keyboards. So then I'll play the chords on one keyboard, and then I'll try and play the melody on the other one where the notes are all wrong. Or. Oh. You know, or even or even on some synths, you can like reverse the keyboard so the high notes are at the bottom and the low notes are at the top, <laughs> and then just try and make up a melody. And obviously, it'll be the first thing you play won't be any good, but it just breaks your habits. That's that's really interesting because it's so easy. It's so easy to learn. Like if you're someone like like a lot of electronic music doesn't even go into this, but if you're someone who's into chords and scales and you know sort of traditional music theory, then it's so easy to get habits that lead to your music just being really obvious mm. for me my favorite tunes that i've written are usually ones that started on the piano really oh that's and, interesting and, and like the ones where you've actually got a really strong idea before you even start thinking about what sounds and what production styles and stuff where you already know kind of how it goes and you can hum it because then it's going to be catchy whereas if it if the idea for the tune comes from like a snare drum sound or, a, or an effect or something it might sound really cool, but it's never going to be something that you can hum while you're doing the shopping. That's, you know what I mean? That's so... It's funny because one of my questions for you here is which side of your brain do you think you make music with? And you've kind of answered both. <laughs> yeah, it's, bef- it's definitely both, isn't it? Because you... Because um, th- that's what art is. I mean, especially music. Because there's so much maths in music. Like, if, you know, people listen... To, people talk about jazz musicians as if as if they're some kind of shaman who just knows what notes <laughs> notes to play actually they've all studied mad theory and they can tell you exactly what chords they're playing and what note they're going to and why they're going to go there if they wanted to mm. there might be one or two like you know one or two who were who had some kind of mystical thing but most jazz musicians you know they're very hot on their theory you know and they can sit down and play you some list or something if they want to or you know or do some algebra. Some, De- some Debussy or something. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe. But I mean, you know, it's, um, I don't know which side of the brain is which, but there's definitely a lot of the sort of thinking brain involved. And then you need to have your, you need to have both, don't you? Otherwise you, otherwise you either get music that doesn't make sense or music that is boring. Mm. No, it's so you true. Know, it's actually. got to have, it's got to have feelings, but it's got to make sense. What's the most random piece of equipment that you own? Random. Yeah. Uh, I guess it depends what you mean by equipment. I've got I've got these things called automaton. An automaton is a little thing that looks like a music like it looks like a quaver, like a music note, a quaver. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And it's uh, and on the ball bit at the bottom, it's got a little face. Okay. And on the on the on the on the stem that sticks up, it's got a sort of ribbon controller. So you can basically slide your finger up and down the ribbon controller to make pitches. Yeah. And um, the speaker is inside the ball bit at the bottom. 
which is like a face. <laughs> and if you if you squeeze it, its mouth opens, and it's it's uh, physically behaves like a filter. As you open its mouth, the sound goes wow, you know, because because of the because the speaker's concealed inside a rubber ball, and that's a weird little toy. Wow. But I, ha- I haven't ever used that on a record, so whether that counts as a bit of equipment, I don't know. I, that, um, yeah, I, do. <clears throat> I mean, it sounds amazing, the image I have of it in my mind. I've got a drum machine that I made myself, which is pretty weird. Um, from scratch? I use, on a lot of, I use on a lot of records, yeah. Yeah, it's from, um, it's one, you know, it's got one of those little PCs that you can buy now. It's called, you know, like a Raspberry Pi or whatever. It's called, mm. a, it's called a Beagle Bone, this little PC. And then I built the case and the keyboard and everything for it and uh, wrote the software for it, which is pretty cool because no one else has got one. But yeah, that's that's uh, that's definitely unique. It took me a year to do it and um, I didn't know anything at all when I started. But I just set myself a challenge. and um, So I didn't know any coding when I started doing it and I've probably forgotten most of it now because it was a couple of years ago. But yeah, I, I made this this thing. Well, you have that track homemade drum machine, right? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. 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 Oh wow. Yeah. So I use it on on it's on loads of my records. Yeah. I actually did um like a, a thing. I did a thing on Bandcamp where you um, which was like 101 beats. So it was just drum just drum beats. There was you know not not songs but just 101 sort of 16 bar drum beats um, that we sold for a little while. Nice. Uh, which was which was like beats off that machine. Oh, it's nice. basically it's basically like a, it's basically a sampler sampling drum machine. You know, so you can sample sound and, and play it back. It's pretty simple, but it's got a nice vibe to it. But you made it. That that yeah you know, yeah yeah. That's the ultimate. God, mate, imagine making a drum machine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was fun. Have, it was but... fun. I mean, I'm sure you could learn the you know the coding part of it. You could learn in no time, and then the hardware part of it is just. Um, Persistence, really. I mean, I didn't, you know, I'm not, I didn't have any. Like I said, I couldn't even solder when I started. I just, and it took it took a long time. But it was actually it was kind of cooler when I when I was two thirds of the way through and it worked. But it was in in a shoebox. It didn't have a case. You know, it's just like a load of wires and a screen sitting in a shoebox. That was pretty. That was kind Literally of cool. Literally made but, on um, a shoestring budget. <laughs> yeah, the, well, the most expensive part of it was the uh, metal case I had to have made by a steel fabricator. Oh wow! But uh, but um, those kind, the kind of drum machines it's equivalent to like an SP twelve hundred or something. They're vintage now and they're thousands of pounds. Mm. You know, I just could If I wanted to get one of those, it would probably cost me three or four grand now. So I thought, well, even if it even if it cost, you know, it ended up costing me about six hundred quid this thing. <laughs> But um, I mean, plus plus all the time I put in. But the time was kind of fun, you know. Yeah. Well, there you go. That it's kind of as long as you're enjoying it. Yeah. Have you got a kind of go-to couple? Uh, I I just use all of them, you know. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it just they're all set up, and I just use whatever I feel like using. So. I love that. No, we can if you want to, but I don't really want to get into a chat of listing names of synths because I don't think it's. Oh no. No, no. Yeah, if anyone wants to know about that, they can Google it. It's all, you know. But, it's yeah. a cave anyway. I love the idea of you just having your space in the country yeah. where you can kind of disappear off into and come out with yeah. you know, a drum machine yeah. you've made. <laughs> and the, um, yeah, yeah. The most important thing is like what's in your brain. 
old engineers used to, on the radio, radio engineers used to say it's what's between the headphones that counts which i think is a good a good uh, thing to remember well, that's kind of that's kind of the o- overarching um takeaway from this chat actually it's about just using your own brain and personality and yeah your feelings and you, exactly that's what's going to make your music interesting to other people is is like who you are like no one cares if you can make a house track that sounds exactly like Mr. Fingers or mm. or you know an electro track that sounds exactly like Egyptian Lover because they those people already exist and they invented it so you need to do one that sounds exactly like you and then hope that that appeals to you know that will appeal that will appeal to someone if you do what if you do what you truly love and you you know and when you finish it you think this is brilliant someone else is will definitely think it's brilliant as well you know yeah that's that's a really good point because it's it's a human to human via machine isn't it it's just yeah people quite often, people sometimes write to me going can i you know can i send you my track can you tell me what you think of my track whether it's any good or whether it's ready to put out or whatever and i'm uh, and i always just say you if you need to ask me then it's not ready because wh- wh- why do you give a fuck what i think <laughs> oh. you know what you know, when, yeah. when it's ready, you will know. When you're ready, you will know. You'll just listen to it and you'll go, "This is absolutely brilliant. This is what I wanted to, you know, this is what I wanted to be listening to." And now, now I can. And yeah. um, you, you won't care what some middle-aged bloke in Gloucestershire thinks, or <laughs> or anyone or anyone else, you know. No, I swear, no. That's, that's. I mean, that's that's great advice, really. If you're just, especially if you're making music for yourself, because you know, a lot of people say, make the music that you want to hear and want to play yeah 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 so as soon as you're happy yeah. to play it out as far as yeah you know, should yeah put it out oh i like that mm. good bit of advice um mm. I... it's also a good way of dodging having to listen to loads of demos <laughs> yeah just the auto reply <laughs> put it out if you like it because anyone can make music now and i imagine there's lots of people that are just kind of dabbling and like the idea of putting stuff out but actually if they're not yeah well it's definitely a thing isn't it i mean you go on beatport you'll see a thousand releases every week mad isn't Um, it it's just mad and and, um most of them ain't very good i mean i don't as i said i don't listen to much new music i'm afraid i've become a bit of a stick in the mud but a few years ago I, i had a my day job was um cutting cutting lacquers and mastering records for people in fact, I still do mastering. If anyone needs any mastering oh, get during, oh, oh. This, during this pandemic, get get in touch. But <laughs> um, but I was used to cut lacquers, you know, and um, so I'd hear a lot of new releases, and it was really shocking how retro most don't, you know, because to me, techno music is supposed to be futuristic music, and uh, it was shocking to me how retro, you know, a lot a lot of releases. I was thinking, oh, this is a this is a great old house reissue. I wonder what. What, what this when this came out and then you look at it and it's brand new mm. which was, it was kind of i mean i know i know a lot of my music is pretty retro tinged because of the sounds i use but um i do i do put i do try not to just be completely derivative of, of old stuff i don't know maybe i am maybe i'm a hypocrite mm. <laughs> but, but um but but uh, what i said but, but uh, <laughs> But you know, it, it is. It is. Um, it does. It, I do find it strange how people just want to recreate their, you know, re- recreate 
the stuff that they already love without any, without adding any of themselves to it. Well, maybe they've never thought about it enough. They've just gone. Maybe, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I think I think it's great that people can make music and you can get plugins for free and everything. And I think it's fantastic. I think everyone everyone should have a go at making music. It's a really great hobby and it's a great thing to do. And you know, yeah, definitely everyone should do it. But I just don't necessarily want to listen to all of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would be now impossible to listen to all of it. I sort of miss the gatekeeper aspect of, of you know, when it, when it was harder to, when there was a higher sort of entry bar, you know, you had to buy a load of gear or you had to get the A&R from a record label to like your track before you could get it out there. Mm. It could kind of, it kind of um, thinned the crop a lot, you know. So when you went when you went to a record shop and listened to the new releases, you know they, they might you might not love them all, but someone would have had to love them enough to spend ten ten grand on sorting the record out or whatever, mm. you know. Yeah, there's definitely a level of um, like you know cream of the crop there. Yeah, yeah. But you know it's democracy, isn't it? It's good. It's good. I think it's good that everyone can do their thing. It's just harder to find what you like these days. Yeah. Yeah, and then but then you know there's also loads of um, I mean I guess playlists and and selectors and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, true, true, true. There's just there's, there's just loads. I feel like that now there's loads of everything. <laughs> it's just yeah. everything. You know, there there's... certainly is, and, and and everything from the past is available as well. Forever, yeah, you know. That's a good point. Whereas like you know if you missed if you missed a record and you know if you missed a record in sort of. 1988 or something you didn't buy a record within a few months of it coming out you'd just never see it again unless you started going around you know the, the music and tape exchange or something it wasn't like every you know even like records that you couldn't often you couldn't listen to records before you bought them you know unless they happened to be played on the radio mm. it, it was it's really mm. it's hard to it's hard to imagine like now sounding like one of these people on the message boards of like remember when <laughs> You got change from fish and chips, and you could go. And... <laughs> yeah, but but um. Well, no, not really. You know, it was, it was it was kind of weird that it's. I mean, it's great that everything's. It's great that everything's there forever for you to go and learn about. You know, I think that's really good. And there's, there's the the downside of it is that it makes this kind of harking back to the past and this circular, repetitive. You know, this kind of rut we're stuck in. It perpetuates that because everyone can go and you know you can go on youtube and listen to every song by whichever artist you like and then you can go on gear slots and find out what equipment they've got and mm. then you can go on ebay and buy it and, <laughs> and then you can make <laughs> you know, it because, and so yeah. it, because there's no mystery and there's nothing you can't find out i, read, I can't remember who it was i read an interview with someone i think it was tcoy who were like one of the early british acts to make house music mm. like 86 or 87 and there was an interview then where they said they'd read an, they'd read a review of some house records in record mirror magazine and they went and t uh, they went and made their record based on having read a review of a house record but not they hadn't heard it interesting you couldn't you know you couldn't hear it anywhere they just yeah. like read a description of of this new music that's coming from America and it was so exciting and mysterious that they went and made <laughs> it's really weird isn't it but wow. like but then that whole mystery yeah. and that's you know and that's another reason why people love people still really love sort of Drexia or 
Aphex Twin and, you know, these people like Gerald Donald and who don't let on everything mm. about what they're doing. I mean, their whole thing was that they wouldn't bother releasing anything unless they thought of something new. Yeah, I love you know, that. They wouldn't, they wouldn't bother to just keep churning out another one of what they'd done last time. <laughs> just, just, well, there's an interview, isn't there? There's only about three interviews with James and Drexia. There's one where he says, yeah, we won't be putting anything out for a while because we're waiting until we think of something better. Yeah. And which, how many artists do you hear say that today? No, well, I'm the, I'm the worst. I mean, I just put, I just put out everything. You know, I put out more records than anyone. And, and um, it's kind of, in a way, it's one of my regrets that I could, you know, I could, have, if I'd only put out a fifth of what I put out and of just the best ones, I would, I would, I could have a really killer discography with no regrets in it. You know what I mean? Whereas, it's, whereas I always just say yes to people who ask me for music, pretty much. Well, I feel like so, music is a byproduct of you. It's like exhaust fumes for you. You know, you're just you're just in the studio making, you know, enjoying yourself and music comes out and you're like, oh, my. That's a nice way to put it. Yeah, that's a nice <laughs> yeah. way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah very environmentally yeah. friendly yeah. exhaust fumes. I make, a lot of, I make a lot of music, yeah. A, a lot of it's, um, a lot of it's not that great, but hopefully, hopefully the better ones are the ones that come out. Well, because you, you don't even listen to dance music and stuff like this anyway do you in your well your i'm not up to date you know i still love um i actually bought two two records this week which Ooh. is the first time i bought some records in a while and they're both by reggie burrell who was um one of the main artists on new groove do you know new groove the new york new york yeah. house label late 80s early 90s and um he'd he'd released some new i guess they're new tracks using his old project names they're just like pretty simple house music, but really beautiful. You know, just good, good, good selection of notes. Gives you the feels. You know, simple, yeah, simple, repetitive house music done on synths and, and drum machines, but just n nice choice of notes. Yeah. Nice rhythms and timing and sounds good. You know. Um, so, but so you know, I still, you know, I still, and I still listen to when I get time. I'll put on a Todd Terry record or a. Robert Hood record or whatever it you know put on my old records but um I'm not trying to keep up um the last time I really got obsessed with new music was probably grime and and what became dubstep but before it was called dubstep but so that's that really ages me doesn't it because that was like 15 years ago well um, yeah I mean I suppose but I feel I really feel like it's just been going in circles and and everything's retro it's the same with it's the same with art. It's the same with fashion. Like, there's something about the internet preserving all culture for eternity that's led to this circularity because you can find out and influence and reference everything from the past. It's so much harder for people to be original because it's easy to copy. You know, whereas it used to be quite hard. You know, if I wanted to, if I wanted to listen to everything that Mr. Fingers had done, I'd have to save up a few hundred quid and scour second-hand shops for his records. Mm. Whereas now, now you can just listen to it all on, all on YouTube in a day, and away you go. So it's kind of, mm. or, like, or like the guy, the guy who had to make a house record based on reading a review of a house record. You know, it's just like <laughs> yeah. that, that kind of limitation is what fosters originality and creativity. So, well, like so I actually listened to an interview <clears throat> you'd done previously, where you're talking about when you're at school and you used to mm. watch. Um, 
top of the pops and then going to school yeah. the next day and be like how did they make this sound or how was oh, it oh yeah and yeah yeah how exciting is that to then like you and your mates kind of discussing and working out how that in itself just yeah. trying to think well, about it makes you well like, again i don't want i really don't want to be that that old that old b-boy with a beer gut going you know was so, much, was so really good in the 80s but it was a golden time for like innovation in terms of all the technology that was invented in the late 70s and early 80s mm. sampling and synthesizers and everything meant that that you did hear like new sounds in pop records all the time so stuff like you know yeah paul hardcastle 19 with the cut up effects and the Art of Noise records, and it was just all completely, you couldn't imagine how those sounds were made. Mm, which is so intoxicating and intriguing. <clears throat> yeah, itself. yeah, yeah. Whereas now everyone knows how those sounds are made and you can do it on an iPhone, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's literally <clears throat> apps. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, so, well, we'll be saved by the emotion. Your, like, the first track on them... <clears throat> On your on loose gears, mm. unconnected. I've been singing right. for about six days. Have <laughs> you? Oh, that's good. So that's what it's... I was talking about. It's what I was talking about. You need to write a tune that you can hum in while you're doing the shopping. Yeah. Did you hum that one first? Because I well, first do, heard do it, I was like, what? I'm sure I've heard this before. And I was like, No, I don't. I, I haven't heard. No, it I probably before. I probably nicked it from somewhere without realising. <laughs> I do that sometimes. But um, do you know what? I'm really bad with the titles because I. I just make the music and then I save the file as whatever words come into my head. So I'm trying to think how, how does it go? Can you sing it to ding, me? Ding, 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 ding. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, <clears throat> I don't know where it comes from. It'll have just come from playing a few notes and then trying to find in a couple of other notes that went with them. You know, that's all. It's just like making up a tune on. I didn't make that one up on the piano. It's definitely done on synths but but yeah that's all all it is do a couple of notes and then oh, look for a couple nice. more and it's really nice a to more. hear a slower record as well especially music that you can play in clubs or like as warm-up sets so right. nice to be able to do it at 100 bpm or you know build it up rather than just yeah. go straight in at the, yeah you know 120 or whatever which... I should think most of my tracks are 120 because that's what the sequencer is at when you turn it on <laughs> is that you know, why? but um but it is a good it is a good tempo sometimes a little bit faster and sometimes a little bit slower but these tend to stay around that area <clears throat> yeah it's nice it just it satisfies it's a bit more room it's a bit more room to make the rhythms interesting if you're slower yeah yeah that's a good point actually they feel bouncier the I faster you get the, yeah. the less detail you can hear you know in the timing yeah yeah and that's that's just math like the, the, <laughs> loose, like loose, loose gears the title track has kind of goes into in and out of triplets mm. like most of the time it's a straight timing and then every now and then it goes into triplets and different kinds of swing and um yeah you can't do that 170 bpm drum and bass because you just can't hear it yeah it yeah. just it just sounded like it was a bit out of time or something yeah, God, I yeah, love a yeah. well-placed triplet. <laughs> Such a sucker for a triplet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to let you go. I really appreciate All right, cool. your time. No sweat. It's nice talking to you. Bye. Cheer up. Bye-bye.